0: chapter verses for this lesson this month, starting in the book of Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. And it says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from the servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, unto your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Wherein, wherefore, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And then the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And this is the Apostle Paul admonishing the church at Corinth, and he's by extension admonishing every one of us. Be ye followers. Everybody, let's read this together. Be ye followers of me even as I also am of Christ. And in one interpretation, it said, be imitators of me, even as I am an imitator of Christ. And we talked a little bit in the past about the fact that Paul really didn't know Jesus like Peter and John and all the other disciples. He knew, probably knew of him, but he didn't really have that One on one. He wasn't one of the twelve. So, but he knew about him. And so he, I, I, anyway, I posited the, the very, very distinct possibility. And I think I've, I found some stuff that, that'll back me up on this. But I believe that in that three days that he was blind and then, and and then there was a three year period where he went out kind of into the wilderness. I believe that God was giving him what he needed. Revelation, wisdom, knowledge, understanding. So that because he called him. And if he called him then he was he had to get him ready. And so he had to learn about Jesus the hard way, I guess you might say. <laughs> cuz he didn't get to rub shoulders with him when he walked on this earth. So that's why I believe that's why he says follow me as I follow Christ cuz it was Jesus when he said, "Who art thou, Lord?" and when he said those words to that Invisible thing that was talking to him. He was saying that from a Jewish standpoint, which meant, who art thou, I am that I am? Who art thou, Jehovah? He wasn't even thinking about Jesus. That was another subject to him at that point. And then then the voice out of nowhere said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Uh-huh. So God has a way of getting our attention. Just, you know, I was just sitting in my my government quarters, just sitting there reading my Bible. I was a new convert in church, and I hadn't really seen this this revelation of who Jesus was. And I'm just sitting there one day, and I'm just reading my Bible, just minding my own business, seemingly. And the light came on. And that those quarters are gone, or I'd take you there. There's a hospital up on that hill now, I believe. But... It just, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I can see it in my mind. I can picture it very clearly. That moment. You'll never forget that moment. And Paul never forgot. Something happened to Paul that day. Before he was ever baptized in Jesus' name, something happened to him. That changed his whole life. And so that's what, that's why he was telling the church, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm doing the best I can. To be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so your example, best example I can give you is me following his precepts and his plan and his life. And so that's why it behooves us to know the life of Jesus Christ. But even more so to study the life of Paul. Paul was being the example to the church. He was the one that really that Jesus had said, I'm, I'm picking you. Somebody had to be the leader. Somebody had to be the one. It just so happened to be Paul. And all the things, you know, it's amazing. All the things that happened in Paul's life up to that point, all of his training and everything that he thought he was going in this direction, right about the, you know, there was a a crossroads that happened on that day. When he came out of that house after being baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, God took him off in another direction. So just when you think you know which way you're going, God says, that's not my plan. If you want to do what I want you to do, you're going to follow my plan, not your plan. You can follow your plan, right? There's this guy named Jonah. We won't go into that, but he tried to go his own way, didn't he? Right? Right? God has a way of kind of getting us back on the right path, doesn't he? So we're going to go into this. We've talked so far about being compassionate, the the character traits of Jesus Christ, about being, he was compassionate. And these are by no means, these ten that we're talking about this month are by no means the the exhaustive list. These are just ten main ones that we're talking about. But, I mean, we could go on for months talking about the character of Jesus Christ. You know, and we sang that song to be like Jesus. That's what Paul was trying to be because if you look at the life of Jesus, everywhere he went in his ministry, he had an impact. He influenced people. He touched the lives of people. He healed people. He, there was never a time that I, re, that I can read that where he was not successful in his ministry. Jesus. He was always going against the grain, too. He was always talking to the people nobody else wanted to talk to or that the religious rules said he wasn't supposed to talk to. He purposely went to those people. And so everywhere he went, there was a crowd. Everywhere that he went, something powerful was happening. And so why not emulate that? Why not try to, to make your life and your ministry in this world to be like him? Because if like I said, you know, Dave Ramsey said, if you want to be successful, hang around the successful people. If you want to be good at plumbing, go hang around a, a master plumber. If you want to be good at, at real estate, go hang around the guy that's making the most money and selling the most real estate. Because they're doing something right if they're successful at it. and so <laughs> Jesus was, must have been doing something right. He was Jesus. He was God. So why not follow that example? So that's what Paul was trying to do. That's what we're trying to do. So we're talking about... Him being compassionate, him being a servant so far up to this point and him being loving. And then last week we talked about forgiving, about him being forgiving. And that is so important. And as we go through these lessons, you're going to find that some of these other traits that we've already talked about are kind of interwoven. So you really can't have one without the other. It's like you can't, you can't have compassion and not forgive. You can't. Forgive and not have compassion. You see what I'm saying? So these are all intermingled together and it's all it's all work it all weaves together. So we're gonna launch off into talking about how Jesus was committed. And uh, there I said that his his con- he was conscious of his purpose and committed to the end. You might say he was committed to the process, because even Jesus went through a process. Right? When he got into, when he was born and he was a young man and you didn't really hear much about him until he was about 12 and then he kind of wandered off into the, at the temple and his mom and them couldn't find him so they went back and then after they got him back, he, you didn't hear about him again until he left the carpenter shop that one day, that last day and locked the door and walked over to John and said, okay, I'm here. Here's what your ministry's about, John baptizing me, and from that day forward, he launched his ministry, right? He was obscure before that, but all of a sudden, he was on the forefront. He was on the scene, so to speak, but he was committed. He knew, now I know he was Jesus, and none of us has been called to do what he did, to die on a cross, but he knew what his job was. He knew what he was here for. He knew why the Father sent him. He was here for us. Because he being 100% fully God and 100% fully man, he knew what his purpose and goal was in life was to take all the punishment that we were supposed to suffer for sin and take it to the cross for us. So, he knew. It didn't make it any easier, did it? (laughs) On him. Matthew 26, verse 36 through 39. Then cometh Jesus with them unto the place called Gethsemane, which is that word Gethsemane means the place of the press. It's where they pressed the olives to get the, the juice and the oil out of them. And saith unto the disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and being began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Father, I'm committed to the thing that you call me to. In my flesh... I know I'm getting ready to go through some excruciating pain like nobody's ever felt in their life before. Uh, anybody in here? Nobody in here could imagine what it feels like to be beaten on your back like that and to have your, your beard ripped out and, and to have all those things happen that happened to him. And he didn't, in his flesh, he didn't want to go through that. Anybody in here want to volunteer to go through some pain? <laughs> no? Well, that's what he was doing. And so, but he said, but nevertheless, I'm committed to the cause. I'm committed to the process. I know what I got to do, and I got to do it, whether I like it or not. And that's the attitude that we have to take in our walk with God. We've got to be committed to the cause. It's been said that Jesus was born to die. That was th- his destiny to fulfill and he reminded he remained committed to that throughout his life whether he understood it or not. We tend to shy away from commitment sometimes in this world. This it's not encouraged but it's normal sometimes for us to kind of shy away from things that we're not comfortable with. Sometimes commitment means we got to get out of our comfort zone. We got to do things that we maybe don't feel like doing. Right, because that commitment, you know, if we count the cost of the commitment, sometimes we don't know if we're if we got what it takes to to do that. Right, because it just you you can't just be anybody and join the military. <laughs> right, I don't care what it, if it's boot camp or whatever. They they help you find out if you're committed or not. <laughs> they help you find that. Whatever that is, you need to either go forward or go out. But that's what that process is for. And so that's what even Jesus did that. It was a weeding out process. There's one place in the Bible where it says that certain disciples followed him no more. And he said to the other ones, are you also going to leave me? Let's see where your level of commitment is. And we have that same question today. When the going gets tough, are we going to go find somewhere else to go to church? Are we going to say this is too hard? Ah, There's an easier religion out there somewhere else. It wasn't about easy for Jesus, was it? Right? Right? And you think about in your own life, every one of us is different. You think about in your own life what it took for you to get to this place where you are. Where think look back and see where he brought you from. And the commitment that he had to you. All he's asking you to do, it's it's your reasonable service. The Bible says, it's your reasonable service. And inside those in that Reasonable services, persecution is all the things that you have to go through. Now, I've heard stories about Pentecost in the early days and how they had rotten eggs and rotten tomatoes thrown at them and their tents burned down and all this kind of stuff. And, (laughs) you know, I've been in this for 30 years and I have never experienced anything even remotely close to that. But that doesn't mean it's not coming. And if you look, if you listen, if you pay paying attention to what's going on in this country right now, it could be coming our way. Like you've never seen it before. And that's where, as they say, the rubber's gonna meet the road. That's where you're gonna find out how committed you really are. If, just imagine in other countries, they, they, they take somebody that's, that's, that's decided to be a Christian, and they kick them out of the family, and then they kill them. And if somebody, if they were killing one of your family members in front of you and challenging you, either you stop serving God or I'm going to kill your mother. What are you going to do? Oh, that would never happen in this country. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I just like the philosophy of never say never. That could happen in this country. I don't know. I don't know when it's going to happen. I think it's going to be a matter of, of when, not if. That's my opinion. Because it's a, if you look around, it's already happening to some extent. Okay, the persecution—it's already starting. If you don't believe me, you just you just start scouring the the news on the internet and you start reading some articles, and you'll find that it is really happening. And so, are we willing to to suffer for His name'sake? Those guys that went over, went before the. All the legal people and all the, you know, the the authorities in the, in the New Testament that got beaten and all that and told, don't you preach in the name of Jesus anymore. What did they say when they left there? As they're walking out half beaten, they're going, hallelujah. We got beaten for the name of Jesus. That's what they said. When they got back to their friends, they were all, they were having a party about it. We were honored to be, to be bruised and beaten and and put through all this stuff for the sake of the name of Jesus? Would we have that same attitude? Would we have that same level of commitment? That's a tough question to think about, right? It's like the guy in boot camp, do I really, after the third week, do I really, what have I done? What have I gotten myself into, right? I was there. I remember thinking that. I'm watching these guys getting TDP'd out and I'm going, "That looks off. that looks like the way to go. <laughs> go back home, you know, and just take it easy and sit on the porch." Nah, I I went through too much to get to that point and I said, "Don't tell me what I can't do." So <laughs> I was determined. There's that old song. I, we, I am determined to hold out to the end. But I'm not just, I'm not just here to hold out. I want to be involved in the kingdom. Amen. Because there is coming a day where he's going to call us home. So we shy away from things. We shy away from commitment because of failure or afraid we're not good enough or we shy away because of criticism of others or sometimes it's perceived Criticism. We we think people don't think good enough of us, and we talk ourselves out of doing stuff. And but if God's called you to do it, as one, I heard one preacher say, if He's called you, He'll equip you. He might wait till right at the moment, but He'll equip you. He'll give you what you need to do the thing He's called you to do. And we can be our own worst enemy sometimes, right? We can really be our own worst enemy sometimes but if we have a determination to see something through to conclusion and we know that it's God calling us to do it there's nothing going to stop us Jesus fulfilled his mission and commitment so that he could so that we could look back at his example and encourage ourselves knowing that he's our advocate he went through what we are going through he suffered the things that we're suffering he suffered persecution. He felt pain. He felt hunger. He felt all these things. Yet he stayed committed. In John chapter 6, verse 60. Huh? I know. It says Matthew. John. If your paper says Matthew, cross it out and put John, please. That was my one mistake this month. It's all right. If you're never trying, if you're never if you're not failing, you're not trying. If you're aiming at nothing, you'll surely hit it every time. Right? <laughs> Some stuff you don't forget when they send you through that training. In the military. Right. Right. Maximum effective range of an excuse is zero meters. Right? PLDC, Panama. It was on the door, classroom every day. I had to see that for six straight weeks. You don't forget. And it, it works in life, doesn't it? Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Jesus had a lot of hard sayings. He sure did. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? There's another hard question. Is what I'm asking you to do, does that offend you? If you're offended to him, he said, if you deny me, I'm going to deny you before my Father. What? And if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, it is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are Spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, "Therefore I said unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father." From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more, walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the 12, "Will ye also go away?" Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, in whom, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus answered them, have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He was talking about Judas. You know, and I was talking to you a minute ago about how that these all kind of intermingle, right? These character traits. Talk about the love of Jesus. He actually sat at the table, the dinner table, with his Judas. He sat at the table with the guy he knew was going to turn him over to be crucified. That's love. He loved him right up to the point he turned turned on him. That's the kind of love that we need to manifest in this world. Do we? You don't have to answer that. We have to ask ourselves, do we? We must strive to imitate Paul as he imitated Christ. What he was saying to them is, I am your Christ-like example. And that's what men like Brother Parker and other pastors and ministers and people today are saying the same thing. They're just, they're imitating Paul, so they're saying, imitate me as I imitate Paul or as I imitate Christ. So it behooves us, if we're going to be that in our workplace or whatever, you better be imitating Christ. Right? So you better know who it is you're imitating. And you better be careful who it is you imitate. Right? Who you who you model yourself after. That's important. Jesus was prayerful. He always found time to be alone and pray. He modeled and spoke the value and importance of prayer. Matthew 14:22. Verse 22 and 23, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go before him into the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up under the mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. He purposed morning, noon, night, middle of the day, didn't matter. He purposed... To be alone with Jesus, to be alone with His Father, right? And so we have to do the same thing. And he 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 got rid of the disciples. You might just well say it. He put them on a boat, sent them across. The, <laughs> he got rid of the crowd. He got rid of the. Sometimes you just got to say, I, I, you just got to shut your cell phone off. Sometimes you just got to say, I'm not answering the phone. I'm not home. This is my time with Jesus. And just like me, when I drive that, that interstate for 45, 50 minutes every morning, I'm locked into that vehicle, and I do not turn the radio on for any reason. I do not want any interruptions. That's me and Jesus' time all the way. You mean you can drive and do that? Absolutely. He can talk to me. He probably talks to me better in those times than any other time because he's got a captivated audience. And I'm wide awake and I'm listening. Amen. And so we've got to purpose. And I could fill my time with I could stick a CD in or I could just, you know, listen to a book or something, but I I don't know. I just felt like one day I was doing that and I felt like he told me, "Shut that off. What if I want to talk to you?" You only got to tell me once. And when I when I feel like he lets it, like it's okay, Every now and then I'll, I'll listen to something, but for the most part, that's my time. And so, you know, we have to redeem the time, the Bible says, because the days are evil. And that, that I, to me, that's talking about my prayer time. I can't just say, well, I did my hour in the morning. I'm done and I, the rest of the day is mine. Can't do that. I could. <laughs> I'm sorry, but the Bible says pray without ceasing somewhere. I, I know it says it in there somewhere. Praying all's with all prayer. Says that in there somewhere too. And supplication for all saints. Right? So just those two scriptures alone is telling me I got to pray when? All the time. All the time. Every moment that I'm awake, every moment, every chance I get, I got to be talking to and listening to my Heavenly Father. Right? Cause he's going to tell me what, he's going to tell me what I need to do. He's going to lead me and guide me. And if I, if I'm praying that prayer in the morning, Lord, it's my, it's your life, not mine. And you, I live and move and have my being. You order my steps today, Father. You tell me where to go. And if you have faith and really believe he's going to do that, he will. So I want to hear what you're saying. I want, I don't want to hear what I'm saying to myself. I want to hear what you're saying. I want to do what you're telling me to do. I want to be a part of what your plan is today. And that's all about prayer. And prayer is really, you know, we're just spending time. It's just like spending time with a friend. Right? Sitting in a coffee shop, eating, drinking coffee and just talking with a friend. That's, that's really all it is. And it's it's a two-way conversation. We talk, and then he talks. And then we talk, then he talks. We don't dominate the conversation. We don't, we don't give him our laundry list of everything we need him to fix. Right? That's really not. You know, if, if the Heavenly Father said, I know what you have need of, then what, what, we don't even have to pray for that stuff. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Don't worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat or where, what you're going to drive or any of that stuff. Don't worry. I got it. If I take care of the sparrows, I got, I got you too. Pray. So our, our, I guess my question is, is our prayer more kingdom based or need based? Do we come across to him as needy? Oh, God, my toe hurts today, God. Fix it. You know, I'm like, Mommy, kiss my boo-boo. Right? He, he, he might have that thing in your life for a reason. You don't want to pray it away. Right? Right? Am I okay? You don't want to pray it away. What if he put that trial in there for a purpose to help you? Paul tried to pray that problem away, and he said, Nope. My grace is sufficient, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Right? If that works for Paul, that works for us. So, I don't know. Let's see here. And I put a little note on there. God's not keeping a little prayer journal log for us. (laughs) He's just not. He's not. It's not like a little horse race where you're ahead of me because you're praying more than I am. I mean, that's just, he's not. It's about quality. Right? It's about spending time with him. Like that Lauren O'Hare song, I Miss My Time with You. Those moments together. I need to be with you each day, but you. Hurt me when you say you're too busy. Busy trying to serve me. But how can you serve me when your spirit's empty? And then he says, there's a longing in my heart. Wanting more than just a part of you. I miss my time with you. He wants T-I-M-E from us. That doesn't mean we have to just kneel down all day long till we can't feel our knees anymore. But, you know, I can have a conversation with you walking down the street or sitting in my house or on the phone, and so we can have a conversation with him anywhere, anytime, about anything. And he listens. We just need to do a better job of listening, right? If we were to honestly evaluate the quality of our prayer life, we might find that most of the time we are praying need-based prayers. So we have to ask ourselves, what what Father, what do I need to pray about? You know, the Bible says that the Spirit will give us what to pray for with groanings which cannot be uttered. When we've run out of stuff to pray for, the Spirit will take over and he'll lead you to pray for stuff for people you don't even know. situations, you don't even know what's going on, but he's leading you to pray for that. When he drops somebody on your heart, when he drops a situation, don't wonder, well, why is that coming into my mind? Well, that's because he's trying to prompt you to pray for that situation, and he might need you because he knows he can depend on you to pray when he drops stuff in your mind, and so we need to be sensitive to that. My, I was driving down the road in west texas and my wife was sitting in a recliner in freona texas and all of a sudden she just she kind of dozed off and all of a sudden she just woke stark right up and it was like god showed her a vision of me being hit by a truck and she immediately prayed and when you know it i had gotten a flat tire on the highway that morning and was pulled over on the side of the road trying to deal with my flat tire. And this guy wasn't paying attention, looking down and his van was coming down the emergency lane. And just before, and all I'm behind my truck. So the truck, so I turn around here comes this van, 70 miles an hour. And I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to die. Where am I going to jump? There's a ditch, you know, and, and all of a sudden this guy just goes, and just goes around me. My whole life flashed before my eyes and, I didn't know what until I got home what she told me, and it was almost the exact same time. So, it's really important that you listen when God's prompting you to pray for something. I thank God today. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say that, but, you know, I could be dead today because she didn't pray. So we got to be sensitive. Matthew 6. 25 through 33, it talks about seeking first the kingdom. And to me, what that's saying to me is let our prayers be about the kingdom. I had one um, preacher that I was listening to. He said, if you had to evaluate your last 30 days of prayer, of things you prayed for, if you had to look back at it, how much of your prayer life would have an effect on the kingdom? Or or how much of it would just be all about you? Stuff that's, you know, fix this, touch that, take this pain away. You know, not that we shouldn't pray for those things. Lord, I need a rage. You know, I I understand that, but he knows what we have need of. So if we'll put, you know, that's why he said, seek ye first the King. If you'll put the kingdom first, I'll take care of all the rest. Right? Pray kingdom prayers. That's what he's trying to tell me at, at least that's how I read that that's how I hear that. You know? Praise God. You know it was the people that that were praying for God to do something about Paul. That could have been very well been the vehicle that caused Paul to be blinded on the road. Right? So sometimes you're praying for one outcome and God gives a different outcome. Right? Or He does the outcome a different way than you thought He would do it. Save my family member by whatever means you gotta do it, God. Anybody ever prayed that? But then you're freaking out when they end up in the hospital in a bad car accident. But you just prayed, God, by whatever means. He just said, okay, I get the pick. And lo and behold, something happens, and that person says, you know what? My life flashed before my eyes. Something's got to change here. Right. Last thing we're going to talk about is God. Jesus was gentle. He was kind, he was meek. He spoke powerfully but in a spirit of meekness. Nobody ever felt intimidated, well except for those guys in the temple maybe. When he pulled that made that whip. But other than that, he never nobody ever felt intimidated by him. Why? Because he just shed abroad the love of God in everything that he said and did. He showed that spirit of meekness and kindness in this world because that's what they needed. James 3:16 and 17 says, "For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, excuse me, then peaceable, gentle, which means fair and equitable. Easy to be entreated, which means approachable. Full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Matthew 11, 27-30 talks about him being a kind and loving Savior. What other kind of Savior would you want? Amen. It's out of his kindness that we're even sitting here today. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind... One to another. Paul talking. This is the guy, Paul, that was telling us to follow him as he followed Christ. Be kind one to another. Tender hearted. Here we go. All this stuff blends together. Forgiving one another. You mean forgiving has to do with kindness? Man. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. He was kind to you. He overlooked your faults and your failures and all your sin. And he. Saved you anyway. That word kind in the Greek is Christos. I think that's kind of the word they use in a lot of foreign countries for Christ. To furnish what is needed, profitable, fit, good for any use of persons useful toward others, hence good-natured, good, gentle, kind. What other way do we really need to be reaching the lost world around us? Killing them with kindness, right? Heat coals of fire upon their heads. Just love them because they don't live in a world that loves them, really, sincerely loves them. They just live in a world that wants something out of them, right? We need to to stand out and be different. We need to have that kindness that transcends just human kindness, That, that, that love of Jesus Christ that is shed abroad in our hearts, the Bible says, by the Holy Ghost. That will cause us to love the unlovable and to look past the smell and the look of people and all these things and, and just be kind and tender hearted to them because that's going to win them more than anything else. Uh, you know, when, when we first got in church, I'll never forget how many people stood up and testified that it was the love that they felt in that church. They didn't say anything about the music. They didn't say anything about anything else. They just said, I, you know, new converts. I just felt so much love when I came here. It just, it just drew me in. And that's what we felt. That's the same thing we felt. And that's why we stayed there. And so it's that love, that kindness, that gentleness that Jesus portrayed that he manifested that needs to be manifested through us. First Corinthians 13 verse four says, charity suffereth long. That word charity is that word agape which is that God love, that unconditional love, suffereth long, and that means it's patient and it's kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. And that basically means it's not concerned with elevating self, but with edifying others. It's not about us. I want them to see Jesus. Uh, By whatever means, by hook or by crook, I want them to see Jesus. And that's part of my prayer every morning on my way to work. When I get out of this truck, when I walk into that building, let them see Jesus, please, Jesus. Let my light shine. I know it's I'm going, the tendency is going to be to want to be in my flesh, but I want them to see Jesus and hear Je- and everything I say and everything I do. I want them to feel the love of Jesus. Amen. Colossians 3:12 through 13 says put on therefore as elect of God holy and beloved bowels of mercies kindness humbleness and mind humbleness of mind meekness long suffering forbearing one another here we go again forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel or a, if any if anybody is a fault finding, is is involved in fault finding against any even as Christ forgave you so also do ye it all goes back to kindness, and all these things blend together. All these character traits, if trust me, if you have one, you have the other, and so on and so forth, right? And I wanted to kind of go through this. Mounts' I found this, and it was just so awesome. I just put the whole thing on here because I just wanted you to have this because this is just so awesome. Mounts's Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Words. Kindness is a Greek word, Christotes. Christotes means kindness, goodness, and is used especially of God. This word occurs only in Paul's letters. Christotes is a characteristic of God. It denotes the kindness and good favor that he shows to believers. Paul reminds those who think that they are beyond judgment that it is only God's kindness and patience that forestall his judgment and, and gives you the scripture references there. But a, a time will come when the Christ Christotes, or the kindness of God, will no longer be provided to those who do not continue in their faith, regardless of what they presume their position to be. The kindness of God is expressed primarily in Christ and was manifested to people in his appearance as Savior. Number two, as a result of receiving Christotes, or the kindness of God, believers are to clothe themselves with kindness to such an extent that it characterizes them even in the midst of trials and persecution. Believers are are able to exhibit kindness because of the work of the Spirit in their lives. For kindness, Christotes, is one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Because unbelievers are without the Spirit, Paul can say that no one among them manifests kindness. So, you really can't manifest true kindness without the love of Jesus and the kindness of Jesus first being manifested in your life. And when you are manifesting that kind of kindness, it's not your kindness, it's his. Because it's not in us to just love everybody. We want to kind of pick and choose. As as human beings, we do, right? We want to pick and choose. But he want he loved everybody. He went up and touched the the foulest of sinner. He went up and touched the leper. He went up. And he just he broke every rule. He went against every norm of that day. And that's what we need to be in this world, in this city of La Crosse. We need to be that difference. We need to manifest this kindness, this love, this compassion, all these things. And a lot of, you know, we were talking about prayer. A lot of that's going to come through a prayer life. Because, you know, I don't know about you, but God's still working on me. He's still working some stuff out of me so that he can make room for some other stuff he wants to put in me to make him more and more and more and more like him. Because we're not, we're on this journey. We just sang that song, All Through Life's Journey from Earth to Glory. We're in a journey down here. We're still in the race. And we we got to stay in the race. Amen. We got we got to manifest the character traits of Jesus Christ. Amen. So next week we'll finish up with the last 3 and and God will get all the glory. Amen. Thank you Father for this time together. We plead the blood over the rest of this service. Bind every devil and every spirit, Lord, that this pastor would minister mightily to us, Lord, that each one of us would have hearts to receive what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.